0: Welcome to Floods of Justice. Today we are talking about individual rights versus the common good. We'll be right back.
1: If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. 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 Floods of Justice podcast
0: looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, Pastor Kevin. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good. We are coming off a holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and we do want to express gratitude towards uh, those uh, who sacrificed their lives for our freedoms. Today we are talking about one of those freedoms, um, but I I hope that uh, everybody had a a good time celebrating with their family um, this weekend in memory of those lives that, that were lost
1: yeah, yeah, you know we have some family members um who have been in the military. Um my um my grandfather's brother uh fought in World War II and was on the cover of Life magazine um, wow. during that and uh and he recently uh, back in February celebrated his 100th anniversary. I mean 100th birthday. Um and uh still wears his the same uniform that he had. He does um the honor guard stuff at funerals and stuff. At 100 years old he he still does uh, some of that, and uh, uh, but anyway, there's been a, a short documentaries done uh, on him, um, and then uh, I've had uncles who've been chaplains in the in the military um, uh, for for a long time. So, uh, so appreciate those guys' sacrifice and and ladies' their sacrifice, and hope hope that in the in the cookouts and everything else, you did take some time to uh, to reflect on the, what it means to be free. So. Yeah. Boy, 100 years. Our last 100 years, I hope somebody
0: has has tapped into his brain on that life experience because the changes that have happened in his lifetime alone compared to the rest of human history. Like, yeah. Wow. And yeah. we're in the midst of something now that's unprecedented for us.
1: Yeah, really, that generation, you know, they're called the greatest generation. Yeah. And there may not be a generation um, that has seen as many changes, uh, drastic changes. I mean, you go from horse and buggy to uh, you know, rockets, uh, you know, in your lifetime. Yeah. Uh no television to internet. Um, you know, so so yeah, there may not be another generation that sees that drastic of changes just in one lifetime. But uh but anyway, yeah, but those freedoms, you know, that's what we're talking about. I mean, if you think about it, the fact that we could be here pretty much talking about whatever we want to talk about is uh without fear of repercussion is because of the freedoms that we have. Yeah. And uh and so that's uh a good thing. So we had we had the freedom to uh, to criticize the government. We have the freedom to support the government. We have the freedom to <laughs> to not even do anything if we don't want to. Uh, and so and it's all because of um uh, of the price that has been paid of uh, people before us. But but today I want us to really talk about individual rights uh, versus the social good or common good. Sometimes it's called. And uh, and so I know some of the listeners or some of the people watching on Facebook may be wondering. You know, why Why you want to talk about that for? Well, because it's kind of where we are as a country, I think. You know, we've been in lockdown for two months, um, maybe two and a half months, really. And uh, most churches, at least in our area, and I know that this pandemic has affected uh, different um, parts of the country differently. You know, for the most part, in Tennessee, uh, we've had uh, a lot of cases, but very few deaths compared to other parts uh, of the country. And so... Uh, and so it's unfortunately, what that means is if you 're from a part of the country where ha- you haven't seen a lot of uh a lot of deaths, then you look at this whole pandemic different than if you're you know from New York City or detroit Michigan um, where you have seen um a uh just you know more significant um, uh, deaths and uh and greater hardship and so you know it's kind of hard i mean i i'm I'm in the south and I can't really put myself in uh, in the shoes of those up north who maybe have experienced it a little bit differently than we have um, but but the, you know that's kind of what's been going on in our context um, most churches in our area stopped um, pu- public or corporate worship services on march twenty second we we had service on March fifteenth but we didn't have it on March eighth because of the pandemic so we we had service on March first, and then we didn't on March eighth, and then we did on the fifteenth, and then the twenty second. Everything just kind of came to a screeching halt, and uh, and you know really, and I've seen this on Facebook, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. The decision to close the churches um, was nowhere as difficult as it seemed like the decision to when to reopen the churches are going to be, you know. And there's and there's people all over the field about uh, about that and what and what should be done
0: and at the time it felt so difficult like oh should we do it yeah we should can't it's nothing compared that's to nothing this. now
1: because because this pandemic has become so politically divisive um then uh you know that's affected the church and, and i was thinking this morning about how horrible that is that the church is divided uh when a time like no other one we should be united and, um, and, you know, extend grace to people and, and recognize that every church is going to look at things differently. But instead, we've drawn these hard lines of uh, when to start churches and when not to start churches. And then we criticize, uh, you know, if people are starting too soon or if they're not starting soon enough, you know, and, and all of that. And so it just becomes a mess. Now, personally, I tell people I haven't been to church since March 1st. Um, and so three months now without going to church. Um, we didn't have it on March 8th, and then March 15th I was out of town, and then the 22nd hit. And uh, I don't think there's been a time in my entire life since I was born that, that I've gone three months without, uh, <laughs> uh, without going to church. And I understand and I know, trust me, I know the church is not in the building. Yeah. You know, I know that. It, and, and our church has kept its ministries going pretty much uh, nonstop through all this. And so we are out there uh, following the Matthew 25 things of feeding the poor and and uh, taking care of the homeless and and all of that but uh but yet you know i, I was sharing with uh with some people sunday as we were doing communion you know that and the fellowship aspect of church which is so important that human connection uh, just can't be met over zoom or at a distance and i and i think that's what people are longing for uh, but then the, you have the other issues of wearing a mask you know, um, and the idea that you wear a mask not for yourself, but you wear a mask for the other person, um, and uh, and then some people don't want to wear masks. You know, it's their it's their freedom not to. And then the whole idea of opening up businesses: are you putting people ahead of profits, or or you know the the argument? At least one of the other arguments seems to be: well, you know, just as many people are going to die if you keep the economy closed, then if you open it, and they're going to die for different reasons: suicide rates and and uh And just all kinds of things, and so again, unfortunately, what's happened <clears throat> during this time is that it's become all way too um political, and so our country is trying to start over again or at least uh, starting to open up, and we're being asked to wear a mask in public, to wash our hands regularly, to maintain a six feet distance from one another and uh and it's really quite bizarre you know, to walk into public places and see. All the things on the floor yeah, the that are trying to of direct where to stand you. And, yeah, 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 and, um, and so it's just really it's really quite bizarre uh, from that. And no one could have ever and I've said this before. No one could have ever imagined uh, or anticipated that this is where we would be in May, coming up on June when we celebrate the New Year on January the first. I mean, I don't think this was in anybody's. Well, there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, I know that on the governmental level. <clears throat> administrations in the past had had run scenarios of what would we do in a pandemic and, and they have to do that. They have to think ahead like that. But the average person, uh, this is just, you know, and I can remember I was in Mississippi actually at a, at a retreat, uh, when things, um, it was around March 11th. And I remember getting a text because we didn't have television and a text that the NBA canceled their season. And I was like, yeah. you got to be kidding. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, and, Boy, that was small compared to uh, uh, compared to where we are now. Well, it'd be interesting to, if you want to come on the show, if this fits your
0: description. But to to have one of those governmental, um, my words are off today. But the 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 people who have theoretically uh, planned out how to respond in a pandemic, that have lived in the theoretical for so long, and now it's real. To hear the difference of man, okay. The, we planned this out and we ran the numbers and we did all of this, but that's it, it, it still does doesn't have the same impact as the emotional response from people. People who are losing loved ones, people who are sick themselves, people who are out of work and can't provide for their families. Like that in t- that that you can't really predict or or, or fake to produce. Yeah, I'd and like you, to hear. And you know
1: yeah, and then there's the whole conspiracy theory stuff, which I have a hard time with because you know, some people will say, "Well, this is done. It's been overhyped because, you know, once one political party wants the other political party out of office." And I'm thinking, okay, but how in the world do you get the entire world to go along with a conspiracy that affects the United States? Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, why in the world would Germany and Spain and Africa uh, and all these other countries want to go along with such a comp- if it's just a conspiracy? You know, but yet you look at the numbers and the death rates and they're they're low and um, and uh, that could be because we've we've social distance and so the, and so we get all these um different messages coming at us and yeah the people who ran these scenarios really didn't know you got to I remember when I was in Arkansas at a church and we were near a nuclear plant one of the people one of the persons in and the nuclear plant was built you know 30 plus years ago sure and you have these huge cooling cap cooling towers um that you know, smoke, it's not smoke, it's actually uh, evaporated water, steam coming out of it and it's, it's in the middle of a lake. And I remember one of the workers, one of the, one of the persons who went to my church who worked out there said, you know, when, and he was an engineer, and he said, you know, when they designed that tower, they designed it to withstand a 747 flying into it. And so, there, and so this is way before 9-11, but yet in somebody's mind, at that governmental level, they were building things with the idea that one day somebody may hijack a plane and, and fly it into something, yeah. And so it's like you got to be kidding. So somebody was thinking about that, you know. Whereas me, when nine eleven happened, I was like, "What? Nobody anticipated that." Yeah. Well, in fact, there were people who anticipated something like that happening. So there were people who anticipated this, but they're at the high governmental level of stuff, you know, Secret Service or, or military. Uh, but the average person, there's just no way. And uh, and I keep telling people, none of us have ever been through this before, so. So let's cut each other some slack. Yeah. You know, as pastors, let's cut each other some slack because none of us have ever ministered during a time like this. And uh, there were no classes in seminary about, uh, uh, about that. And so that's where this whole idea of individualism uh, comes into play. You know, um, what are my personal rights um, and how do I balance that with, uh, with uh, the broader community? So individualism versus the common good. Um, and as a disciple of Jesus, when, if ever, do my individual rights supersede my responsibility to be a good neighbor? Or is it always I'm supposed to be a good neighbor and always, um, you know, submit my personal rights to um, uh, to the broader good? Those are the questions that we've got to, that I think we've got to um, wrestle with and answer. And so again, just a little bit of background. And I've told Kevin, for those listening and watching, to keep me out of the weeds because you know, I'm a teacher at heart, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I tell people if you ask a teacher what time it is, they want to explain, they want to tell you how the watch works, and so I want to kind of stay out of the weeds, but, but yet kind of put this in some type of historical context of uh, where our indi- where this idea of individual rights came from and um, and why it is so strong in our country. You know, in the United States, it seemed like individual rights trump everything, yeah. and uh, uh, but anyway, well, right
0: now it seems so relevant with the with the pandemic. But as you start to do research, you realize this goes way back to the Bill of Rights. I mean, this this argument has been going on in our country since the very beginning. It just changes in the context. So here we are yeah. in this context, but there is history.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of history. And when I was teaching sociology, I ran across because in, in my schooling I didn't really come across this person. Uh, I may have, but I just didn't pay attention to it. But when I started teaching sociology, um, this this German sociologist um, by the name of uh, Ferdinand Tunis uh kept coming up and uh um, and he he died in around nineteen thirty so it's the late eighteen hundreds or the early nineteen hundreds again he's a german um, a german sociologist and uh and i want to talk about him uh, a, in a little bit but before um, but before but anyway so tunnis wrote a book um, it was published in nineteen oh five but if i remember right in nineteen o five it was published in in German, and then it was a few years later before it became published in, uh, um, in English. That could be wrong. It could have been 1901 when it was in German, then 1905. But anyway, in the early 1900s, he wrote this book. And uh, the German words I'm not even going to try to pronounce, uh, but basically the English translation would be Community and Society was the title of the book. And you can Google that, and you'll, you'll see, and it'll come up. And um, and so he described two types of societies, basically. One he called community, and the other he called society. And community was a a social organization, or it was a type of society uh, where people were bound closely together in kinship and tradition, and basically the community superseded the individual. And so what was right for the community uh, was greater than what was right for the individual. Uh, And then society was the opposite of that. Uh, and so by society, the, the German words um, have, a better trans, have a better meaning, but the English equivalent is, you know, is, is where this comes from. But, but society um, is a type of social organization in which people have weaker social ties and considerable more self-interest. And, so, uh, and, and in his mind, he thought that after a while, things would even out and things would be good. But later in his life, when he came to the United States and was touring and lecturing and talking about this, he was very, very critical of individualism and what we lost as a society by moving from community uh, to society and, and again the German words really really um, uh, explain it better but I'm not going to try to pronounce those words um, and so he saw this move from individualism um, away from individualism or, or away from the common good to individualism as being a bad thing now this is the 1900s early 1900s when he you know when he's uh, when he's writing about this, when we weren't anywhere near as selfish as we are today, yeah, yeah, and he and he saw it at, at first. He saw it as just, this is just the way society evolves, but then he saw it as this is bad if we don't if we don't um, if we don't do something about it. And and years ago, and I tried to find the paper and I couldn't find it. But years ago, uh, I started writing a, a journal article that I was going to submit to some um, um, theological journals, um, and uh, and I never finished the article, so I never submitted it. But but what I was doing was because I think what he means by community is koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, the type of fellowship we're to have within the church, and then and then and my application was as a church, we should be this type of community, but instead we're a society. We're we're as a church, we we have stressed the individual uh, so much that we've lost a sense of community, and uh, which is odd because Hebrew. The Jewish religion, um, coming from what we would call the Middle East, you know, uh, all is, is very communal. Very, just read the Old Testament and you see it's very communal. It's like what's the most important thing is the group, not the individual. And so then I was just trying to say our, one of the problems we have in the church today in the West is that we've individualized things so much that we've lost the sense of the common good uh, from that based on what um, Tunis was saying. And so now, all this was done uh, because of what was termed, again, in sociology, the division of labor. In other words, when we lived in when we were an agricultural economy, it was it was extremely important that you and I had community, because you know I I'm, you may raise chickens oh, and have I eggs. I raised corn, and so we would. I needed you because I needed your eggs, but you needed me because you needed, you know, my corn. And so you had this this idea of where you really, really looked out for one another because everybody's interest was the same interest, you know. And so if there was a flood or drought, it affected everybody the same. And so there was this sense of community. But when we moved away from agriculture with the Industrial Revolution, which late 1800s, early 1900s, um, the Industrial Revolution, now instead of growing stuff, I'm hiring myself out for money. Um, And so this division of labor, you know, if you think about it, Back on the farm, people knew how to do everything. You know, if, if, they're, if they needed to fix their house, they fix their house, if they need, you know, or they'd call their neighbor. But now you've got the division of labor that comes into play uh, where now people specialize in one thing, but they don't know how to do other things, and so you become, um, instead of depending more on each other, we become more individualistic about that. So out in the country... Um, you know, your, your nearest neighbor may be a mile away, but you know everything about them. They're your good friends. Then you move into the city to work in the factory and you live in an apartment and you don't know the person 16 inches away on the other side of the wall yeah. because of this division of labor. And then what you have, whereas in the agricultural economy, um, if something bad happened, it affected the whole group. If something good happened, it affected the whole group. In the industrial economy, in the, you know, in the industrial revolution, the division of labor, now all of a sudden what's bad for you is good for me. You know, or what's bad for me is good for you. And so you got, you know, millions of people who have lost their jobs in the present-day pandemic. But there's a lot of people whose jobs have exploded, you know. And, and some people are making more money than ever yeah. during this time. And so this division of <coughs> labor is yeah, Yeah, you know, and, and so, or, you know, obviously, if you're in the medical industry, you've you got job security. But if you're in the factory, you, you don't know. <laughs> You know, how much longer are you going to have a job? And so, what's good for one becomes because, and so that causes us then to become more individualized. I got to take care of myself. I got to watch out for myself um, instead of uh, relying on the community. And so, we start to privatize everything. Um, well, and especially if everything. you feel like
0: the community is ignoring you or neglecting you, then you got to take care of yourself. If you felt like you were being provided for by your government or that they cared about you or your community,
1: I or became, your neighbor, or yeah. your
0: neighbor. But when you feel like no, they're my enemy. No, mm-hmm. they they don't care about me. They don't even know I exist, or they don't care if I die. That that to me, can yeah, take and you, your
1: And then and then you, you start to individualize yeah. everything. Now at the same time, you had the French um, Revolution going on, and you had um, um, you know, the Renaissance, which is actually in the late 1600s, is where this idea of democracy and individual freedom started to come from. Um, and then you know the the. The French writers and some of the German writers and English writers in the 1700s, uh, John Locke being one of those, who may have been more late 1600s, is basically where Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson got their idea of a representative democracy. And as I said last week, our country is built more on secular humanism than it is on scripture. Uh, That's just a fact. Now, the people were Christians, at least a lot of them were Christians, a lot of our founding fathers, but they were. They were building a humanistic government, um, and we just have to admit that. And so then also around this time, the late 1800s to the early 1900s, there was another book by another German sociologist named Max Weber. It's spelled like we would say Weber, but the W is a V sound. And, um, and his book was called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, and it's a critique of capitalism. Um, but what he does in this book, which to me was fascinating, um, and these are all classics that need to be read by everybody, was he was saying you know the idea of this individual and the and the work ethic that we have in the states goes back to a particular theology in scripture called um, Calvinism, and within Calvinism, this is where you got to keep me out of the wood out, out of the weeds. In Calvinism, um, you, there are the elect of God. You know God only saves the elect. So how do you know if you're one of the chosen? Well, one way you know that you're one of the chosen is that you have been blessed, and being blessed is always equated with with money, and so the harder you work, the more money you make, that's evidence that you've been called that you're one of the chosen by God, and so this, and so this work ethic that keeps capitalism alive is based on this one type of theology, now what's interesting is, within the Christian world, you can basically divide theologies in half, you have, you have Calvinists and Arminians, and, um, and Calvinists have this idea of election, Arminians don't, all right, but this Protestant work ethic and spirit of capitalism is really the seed of what has become the health and wealth gospel. So the more you work, the more money you make, the more blessed you are, that's a sign God is, you're in God's favor. But now what's interesting is most of your health and wealth gospel preachers are Arminian and not and not uh, and not cal- and not Calvinistic, uh, but anyway. So that and so I, what I'm just trying to make is this idea of individualism has always been, but in, it started to grow and become more and more. And then you have representative democracy, where now my rights are more important um, uh, than than the common good. And so um, and so, and then also in the United States during this time, then by the time you get to the 1800s, sometimes in the 1700s, but then in the 1800s. You start having these huge tent revivals, and the emphasis uh, in these revivals was personal salvation. You had to say the printer's prayer, the sinner's prayer. You have to personally put your faith in Christ. So you see that individualism. You know, it's the individual. It's 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 the only thing that matters is you and your relationship with God. Forget everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, and so and so all of this is making us more and more individualistic so with the chicken and the egg
0: did the did that theological view come out of the societal or was it vice versa that the societal (coughs) was i don't want to you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) i got it all backwards in my head there with the the individualism in your in your faith was it a response of what they're seeing out in the world or was it just a a shift in new freedom and then because of that and the predominance of a, a, a Christian people in the nation well, that then a political system in.
1: Yeah, well it is chicken and egg, but I think, I think at least one way, and this is just scratching the surface of all this, but at least one way you can look at it is, is, you know, Martin Luther, the reformation, which was um, basically a return to scripture, um, you know, um, you know, faith in Christ, grace of God, um, the authority of scripture, and also trying to put scripture into individual hands because up until then, like if most, you know, especially in the Catholic faith, faith, um, everything, you know, the liturgy was in Latin and only the priest could lead the services and all that kind of stuff and then the Gutenberg Press, if you want to throw that in there, made the scripture widely available to all and so now it's like we don't, and so then there was this move of, of no, we don't need the priest to tell us what to do, we can do it ourselves, we can interpret scripture ourselves and so there's that individualism and then out of that you could say then this belief of, of election, uh, John Calvin and Jacob Arminius, um, were, um, somewhat contemporaries, um, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church and John Wesley would be Wesleyan or Arminian and John Calvin were contemporaries. And, um, and you know, they said their theology, the difference in their theology was the width of a hair, you you know, but yet all of our denominations now come from either, we're either Calvinist or we're, uh, we're, or we're Arminian. You know, basically, you had the Catholic Church, and then after the Reformation, the Protestants kicked off. Which, by the way, this is—I'm in the weeds now. Protestant. <laughs> if, if you're listening, we are in the weeds. Protestant means protestant. So th- this idea. So as a Protestant, I tell people, as a Protestant, it's in my DNA to protest mm-hmm. when I see an injustice. That's what we are. We are Protestants. <clears throat> you know, um, and so, but you could have the Catholic Church, and then when the, after the Protestant Reformation. Then you have the um, uh, the Protestants, so they're both Christian. You have Christianity in the Catholic Church, the Protestant movement, and then out of the Protestant, the most Protestant groups are going to go either to Jacob Arminius or, or John Calvin, and then you end up with thousands of different denominations over over this. But, um, but the emphasis in the United States through these great revivals then became personal faith in Jesus Christ, and so now it's individual again, and uh, and it's just you know it's just. The community aspect was completely forgotten. It's basically what I'm getting at. So all of these things from the political to the, um, to the economics to religion, all was pushing us to be, you know, more individualistic. In the past, in ancient history, we were more communal, you know, and then all these things started taking place, and, and, um, and now we're in a place where it's all about my own rights, and, and I don't really care about the rights of others if, as long as my rights are being met. You know, I'm not going to submit my rights, um, you know, to something else. So you have people who think wearing a mask is an infringement on their rights and they're going to protest wearing a mask, which is really odd to me. Yeah. You know, or, um, you know, the, the government took stands to shut the economy down and now after a while that's infringing on my rights. And so now we're going to protest against the government for, uh, for the economy uh, to, and and I love a protest as much as anybody, uh, you know. But uh, but I think nonviolent protest is the way to go. Not carrying guns <laughs> to the courthouse to pro- to protest. But anyway, let's take a yeah. break and we'll.
0: Yeah. So we've we've laid some foundation here. When we come back, let's let's get a little more specific into the the pandemic and the the issue that we're all facing, wearing face masks. The Floods of Justice podcast is brought to you by the Coffee House at Second and Bridge. Since 1904, they have stood at the corner of Second and Bridge Street in the heart of downtown Franklin. Their house-made menu items are crafted with care and love. Baked goods are made from scratch each morning, and specialty coffee is always ground and brewed fresh. So come on down, wander the rooms, join us at the coffee bar, and find a space to enjoy the food, the drink, and maybe even a recording of the Floods of Justice podcast. So we have been discussing individualism versus the common good, and we, we laid out some historical context with that, and now we're stepping back into present day with our current situation.
1: Yeah, and so I want to start this off, I want to read a passage of Scripture, uh, because again, we're trying to look at things from a biblical worldview, and by no means am I saying I've got the only biblical worldview, but, uh, but you know, we got to put this, you know, what does the Bible say? How What principles can we find in Scripture about this? And so there's a passage in Isaiah, chapter 56, uh, verses 1 through 3, and this is from the message um, version of the Bible, a very, very contemporary uh, version. And so here's, here's what Isaiah says uh, in the message interpretation. God's message, guard my common good, is what he tells the prophet. Guard my common good. Do what's right and do it in the right way, for salvation is just around the corner. My setting things right is about to go into action. How blessed are you who enter into these things, uh, you men and women who embrace them. You watch your step and don't do anything evil. Make sure no outsider who now follows God ever has an occasion to say, God put me in second class. I don't really belong. And I think there's a word there to us about immigrants. You know, don't make an immigrant feel like they're second class is what God says. Um, and then he goes on and says, and make sure no physically mutilated person is ever made, made to think, I am damaged goods. I don't really belong. So I like the way that the message says that. And, that, and when I read that last part of, 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 you know, I am damaged goods, I think of the uh, family that was homeless who we put up in a hotel uh, for 35 nights and they gave us a thank you letter and she wrote on the thank you card, um, thank you for not throwing us away. No one should ever feel like they're second class or that, um, or that you're throwing them away. They're, they're of no good. And so uh, how do we do that? Well, the decisions then that we make, we have to consider uh, the least of these. The mo- how does this affect the most vulnerable among us? Not how does this affect the economy or how does this affect the stock market, but how do these decisions affect the most vulnerable among us in the Old Testament, the most vulnerable are the, are the poor, the orphan, the immigrant, and the, and the, and the widow. Uh, those are representative groups because today we could find all kinds of other people who fit in that category. Uh, but as a believer, um, and again, we're far from perfect in this, and, and it may be impossible to do it perfectly until Christ returns But yet, when it comes to our policies, when it comes to our actions, we have to always ask ourselves, what effect is this going to have on the marginalized people in my community? We have to consider that um, at some point. And so, um, this is from the um, Catechism of the Catholic Church. So, anyway, it says this, By common good is to be understood the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or as individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. And so our decisions are to be what can help the most people reach their potential. Um, you know, that, that's the idea of the common good uh, from that. Um, and Again, from the Catholic Catechism, here, here's some things that they said about the common good as far as what is the common good. Well, the common good presupposes respect for all persons, the common good assumes that public authority will support and respect the inalienable rights of all people. Um, the common good encourages the exercise of our natural freedoms. The common good calls forth action on the part of individuals that contribute to the well-being and proper moral framework of society. And the com- and then in regards to the government, um, the common good is this. It is the role of the state to defend and promote the common good of civil society, its citizens, and intermediate bodies. In a nutshell, the idea of common good is what um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. referred to as the beloved community. You know, that what are we doing for the community? You know, the beloved community. And, and from the King Center, um, here is, here is uh, what they say about... Um, the beloved community. Dr. King's beloved community is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Basically, that's Matthew 25, basically, that you can't have this. And, and we've talked about poverty and homelessness before, that poverty is a result of the church not fulfilling its obligation. Um, Based on, based on the passage from Deuteronomy. Um, racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. That's the common good. I would say it's the kingdom of God, basically. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to proclaim the kingdom of God and then through our actions sh- um, show snapshots of the kingdom of God. And so in God's kingdom, there will be no homelessness. And so when we shelter people experiencing homelessness, that's a snapshot of what God's kingdom will look like. It's not yet in fulfillment, but it's a snapshot of that. And so when we feed the hungry or when we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, he says, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's, that's the common good. And so when we provide health care so that people can be healed um, and made well, um, that's a snapshot of the kingdom, which again, back in the day when when Christianity focused a whole lot on the community, uh, the vast majority of hospitals in the United States were started by what? Catholic church. But, yeah, and, and <clears throat> Christian churches as well. <clears throat> right. Yeah, but it was God's people. It wasn't the government. It was God's people who did this. But as we became more and more individualistic, looking out for our own interest, making sure we had our own things in order, then... You know now hospitals are state-run or, or they're LLCs. You know one comes in and buys up a whole bunch, and it's not God's people um, doing it anymore because now we're, it's about you know it's about me, and uh, and again like everybody else I struggle with this because I know the implications of what this sounds like, but yet okay, but yet I still have to take care of my family you know uh, and and all that, but. When I make decisions of, of everything, so, it, you know, whether or not to wear a mask, okay, I may have the individual right to not wear one or to wear one, but I have to ask myself what effect does me wearing one or not wear one have on the most vulnerable people among us? Yeah. You know, and so if, uh, if the government says, hey, look, wearing a mask is, is not really to protect you, but it's, it's to protect the other person, well, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've got to wear a mask even though I hate it, even though oftentimes I forget it, like today I left it in the car, you know, um, I hate it, I don't like it, I can't wear a mask and sunglasses at the same time, <laughs> all those things. But yet, I, but yet if I go to the grocery store, um, people know I'm a pastor um, and I've, I've got to try to set that example and so okay, I'm going to put my mask on uh, to go to the grocery store uh, because I want to show that I'm more concerned about the other person than I am my own rights. You know, And, I, and that's, just the, that's just the way we have to look at it. Um, and so, yeah, you have a right not to wear a mask. You have a right uh, to do whatever it is you want to do. But as believers, we've got to go back to this idea of what effect does this decision have on the broader community? It's not just about me. Yeah. It's about what effect does, is this going to have on the broader community? And I think if we operate in that way, then... Um, a lot of these things will make will make sense, but I'll I'll stop there. Just
0: yeah. Well, I think I mean there's a there's an interesting debate as I was kind of researching this and just thinking about things. The uh, I don't know if it's the definition of common good or if our if it's how we approach the common good because you can you can look at common good and and it's sometimes it's interchangeable with the greater good and we say all right well you know, yeah, there's 10% of people that this might be, that this might affect, but 90% of us are this. And so we would say, you know, someone would say, oh, the common good is to, well, what takes care of the 90%? But if we if we want to shift it and, and maybe approach it biblically and say, well, the marginalized, what are we doing to take care of the marginalized? That 10%, is that in 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 actuality better for the common good? Not from a worldly point of view, but from a we as a people will take care of our vulnerable. And so the greater common good is that we are taking care of that 10% versus, well, let's just forget about it. Because, I, I mean, you see the argument online. You see it coming from D.C. of Well, hey, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that many people have died. It's really not that many people. You know, we're now approaching over 100,000 people. But saying, oh, that's not that many people. Let's look at Spanish flu. Let's look at these others. And we minimize it as opposed to going, no, no. The common good is how
1: do we take care of those that are most vulnerable? Right. But it's... Yeah, I had a professor in graduate school say the beginning of wisdom is in the definition of its terms. Mm. You know, so you got to make sure you're talking about the right thing. And I think, and this may just be on my own mind, so you can correct me, anybody watching, if I'm wrong. But I think the greater good is really more of that what's good for most people. Yeah. I think the common good... Is different because it is what's the common good? What's good for community as a whole, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's where then the like in the the greatest good. Okay, only two percent of people are dying. Let's let's just go back the way things were and and reach herd herd immunity, right, or something yep. like that. Yep. Um, really, really quick, you know. Whereas the common good says no. Yeah, we you know we we have to open up our economy. There, there's no doubt about that. I mean, people are hurting. Yeah. But is there a way that we can do it and approach it in such a way that it's protecting the least of these? You know, and that, and that's where the mask, the distancing, the, uh, you know, the washing your hands. Which the washing your hands, we should have been doing all along. All along sure. You know. And well, An example of this really is you look at the Asian culture. Like, I'm thinking mainly uh, Japan, China, where they've been wearing masks forever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so... It's part of their culture to wear a mask, and so it's not a big deal. What we're going through um, is um, what's called anime. That's a sociological term, but anime is where um, either the, the norms of society are unknown because they're changing so rapidly, or the norms in society no longer have the power to keep people in line, you know, and so wearing a mask, we're in anime because we don't know what the new normal is, you know, do we wear one, do we not wear one, so we're in anime, which is basically chaos because we don't, we don't know yet. Uh, now, eventually, a new norm will set in, and the majority of the people will go along with just the way society works. The majority of people go along with the general norms of, of a society. So in, in Japan, it's normal to wear a mask, so everybody's wearing a mask. In the United States, this is not normal, and so, we're, and so people are bucking against it. But eventually, you know, if it becomes, uh, if it becomes part of our culture you know, then more people will do it. Uh, but an- an- enemy applies to lots of things, but it's basically no one knows what the new normal is, so you have enemy, which is chaos. Yeah. Um, or the normals are no longer, so like looting would be an example. You know, people who would never steal something uh, in a natural disaster will go into a grocery store or a, or a store and steal something. Why? Well, because the the norms are no longer powerful enough to keep to keep people in line at that moment. As soon as things become normal they'll quit doing that again. Uh, but that's kind of just the idea of enemy. And I think right now we're in enemy because we don't know what the norm is anymore. Uh, from that and we're trying to and we're trying to figure you know we're just trying to figure that out uh, from that. And so these are questions we've got to ask ourselves uh, when it comes to wearing a face, face mask or not wearing a face mask, social distancing or not social distancing. Opening up businesses or not opening up businesses and then opening up churches or not opening up churches is how is this decision going to affect uh, the most marginalized? And then if we decide to do a certain thing, how can we do it in a way that has the least impact on that most, you know, marginalized? And so most churches that I've seen, and our church will probably do this whenever it is that we open up again, will be, look, we're going to open up. We want a social distance. And if you're 65 and over, please don't come. We'll, we'll live stream, we're still going to, minute but in the meantime, until we know what's going to happen, if you're in that vulnerable category, um, you know, we want to minister to you um, by live stream and by phone calls and text. don't feel like you need to come here and put yourself at, and put yourself at risk, you know, and so that's, okay, we've made this decision, but now what can we do to minimize uh, the effect that it may have on the, on the least, you know, on the least among us. Kind of thing. At least that's the way I'm, I'm trying to approach it and look at it. Um, and so, but the Bible, believe it or not, does say a lot about this topic. Um, and before I read some scriptures, um, and again, I know the implications of this. And I know that I'm far from living this out perfectly. So God is working on me on this. But the basic principle behind all that the Bible says is that we should always put the needs of the other person ahead of our own. And that's just the basic principle. And you can't get around that the Bible makes it clear that the other person's needs are more important than my needs. Um, and, and really if we live that out and I've used this a lot over the years, if, if we live that out, we'd be better off because if I'm the only person looking out for me, I've only got one person looking out for me. But if, if I'm looking out for the other person and all the other people are looking out for the other person, then I have a whole lot of people looking out for me. yeah, And so it, it's, it's like it would work if we would practice. The beloved community would work if we would just take that step of faith and believe God and and uh, and live our lives that way. That that you know what the other I've got to think of the other person at all times. You know I, I can't be selfish. But here's some verses: First Corinthians chapter ten, verses twenty three and twenty four. Paul says everything is permissible. You know, we're no long, longer under law; we're under grace. Everything. Whatever your conscience lets you do, everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. You know. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of the others. I mean, that, that's, that's scripture. You know. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider other people better than yourselves. Each of you should look uh, not only to your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And then, of course, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus' words, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know, so twice Jesus says something sums up the law and the prophets. One is love God and love one another. And then do to others what you have them do to you. That sums up the entire Old Testament. It's, just, it's that simple. And then I was reading an article about this, and um, <laughs> uh, the person was quoting a book when they made this reference. But anyway, I just, it, it was so good. I, and I had never, ever thought about this. Okay. but here, So this is from an article. Um, let me see my notes. Sorry about that. You just saw me lick my, my fingers. <laughs> hey, they're your fingers. Yeah, they're my finger, right? Um, this is from a lady, D.L. Mayfield, and it's an article that was written March 18th of this past year, American Individualism versus Loving Your Neighbor. And here's what she says. She says, much of the book of Leviticus can actually be read as public health policy. You know, And that got my attention. And then I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, although I hadn't thought about it. This includes, and these are things in Leviticus, this includes commands to wash your hands, to engage in ritual bathing, um, nutritional guidelines, and even quarantine practices. You know, and the law is like, yeah, if you have this disease, you need to go live outside of camp for a while, you know. Um, In Leviticus, periods of separation were called for when a person was visibly ill in order to evaluate, diagnose, and monitor its Communicability. And so you know, I read that and I thought, man, I've just never looked at it that way before because we've never been in a pandemic. You know, that, that Leviticus, and we're not under law anymore, but there's still guidelines that we can glean from the, from the Old Testament laws. And so, you know, a lot. So Leviticus says, look, wash your hands, social distance, and it didn't say it, but maybe it'd be, you know, wear, wear a mask, you know, something, but separate yourself and so it's a biblical thing in a time of, um, of, uh, of uh, when it's a public health issue to do certain things um, and, and all this is giving up your own rights for the good uh, of the whole that's all of that um, when I was teaching in sociology uh, I had another professor call me in one day because she had a problem uh, there, were, there were some students in her class who she had caught cheating but they said they weren't cheating and and so and I knew the students and they because they were in my class a sociology class and, and these students were uh, you know first generation immigrants they were from um, it was either Korea or Japan I can't remember which one um, exactly or could or it could have been Thailand but anyway it was um, and so they didn't really know English that well and what was really interesting about those students is they could read English. So even though they didn't understand it, they would read. So they read the textbooks and everything. And they were great students. And, um, and I told her, I said, no. I said, look, we need to take some time and explain to them. But, but in their minds, they're not cheating because in their culture, what I personally make on a test is not as important as what the group makes. Mm. And so to them, it was their moral duty to help their friend on a test, and they didn't because of the English barrier, they didn't quite understand that you can't share your answers. I see, you know, and um, and so over time it worked itself out. But it's like, look, you got it. This is totally different because uh, in their in their mind, they're being honest with you. This is their culture. Their moral obligation is to help the group, not just themselves, and and that's what they were doing. So you have to just. You know, it doesn't mean they can keep doing that, but, you, yeah. you know, you got to but take the time to understand, take some to time to that. understand yeah. and to hear that and, 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 uh, you know, explain it to them and, and, uh, but don't, don't punish them at this point, you know, cause they were, re- they really thought they were doing what was right, um, by helping their neighbor out. Um, and, and you see this also in some cultures, in our culture, um, you know, in the individual is stressed by how we even say our names. You know, my name is Kevin. I'm, I'm, I'm stressing the individual. My family name is of lesser importance, so Kevin Riggs. You go to other cultures, that would be unheard of. It would be Riggs, Kevin, because my family is more important than me as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so even the way we say our name shows that deep inside of us is this individualism that is okay. I mean, it, it's good, But yet, when it's overly stressed to the point that it hurts the community, then we got to back up and say, wait a minute. As a follower of Jesus, what's more important, my individual rights or the community? And then in every decision I make, every policy, all of that, how's it going to affect the least of these? Uh, How's it going to affect the people who are on the margins of society?
0: So even though the Bill of Rights and our Constitution would grant you the right to do this as a believer... You're not susceptible to just that bare minimum. Your bar is actually higher.
1: Bar is a little bit higher, and you have to wrestle with it. Yeah, because I know that you know you, all of us could think of illustr We're talking in maybe in um, theory right now, because all of us could take a think of situations where this would not work. Yeah, but maybe one reason it wouldn't work is because we just haven't tried it. You know, but yet as a follower of Christ, I have to I have to struggle with that. I have to wrestle with that. Okay. I think, you know, and I'm not saying I personally, I'm just using an illustration. I think wearing a mask is stupid. I think all this has been overhyped, da-da-da-da, whatever it may be. But, okay, what effect does this have on the least of these? All right. If, if there's a possibility that, um, that a person who is of bad health could get sick and die because of this, and wearing a mask when I'm around that person would take that out of the equation, then, you know, you put the mask on you know, and, uh, um, and just, and, and lead by, now that doesn't mean, again, if you've, if you've seen some of the things we've done in the community, uh, you know, I, I'm the worst, I, I forget my mask sometimes, right, you know, I, if I'm running to the store real quick, I get in the store and thought, oh, no, my mask is in the truck, and then I make a decision, am I going to go back to the truck, or am I just going to get that one item and, and get out of there, Yeah, you know, um, and so, and so we're all a work in progress, which is, again, which I think is why we have to. We have to extend grace uh, to each other. Well, I think at
0: times it, <clears throat> it's, it's more important as to why, or the why at least is the most important on, why you're on, uh, on, your, on your actions. So two people can do the exact same thing, but they can do it for different reasons. So if you're refusing to wear a mask because you're like, I will not be suppressed by my government or some other reason or if you're wearing a mask it's not because you're uh, a a germaphobe or because you are under the thumb of the government if you decide to open up your church are you doing it because you want to minister and shepherd your flock or are you doing it because you're low on tithes and you got to bring in money it's like so people can do the same thing but go okay why why is it you know so you went into a grocery store without a mask why Give, them, give somebody some grace to go, I just forgot it. Or it's not because I'm flagrantly disregarding the public well-being of everyone around me. And we're so intolerant these days. It's
1: yeah, I mean, I've heard stories. I haven't, I've tried to notice it, but I'm, I may just be oblivious to some of this kind of stuff. But I've heard stories of people saying, I went to the store without a mask and the looks that people gave me. Yeah, And then I've heard, I went to the store with a mask, and the, the looks, looks <laughs> that, that, that people gave me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like, okay. Darn it if you do, darn yeah, if you so, don't. You know, so take your mask, and you walk in the store, look around, and say, okay, what's everybody else doing? Yeah, frown? What? No, I'm wearing it. <laughs> smile. Okay, oh, frown? That's not, yeah, yeah, and so that that's where it just gets, <clears throat> that, that, that's just where it just gets crazy, and we have to, um, uh, we, we have to extend grace. Now, for me, I've been saying this from day one uh, for, for the churches, you know, because there's, so much criticism going back and forth between churches over this. Um, and it's like, look, we have just got to extend grace. Um, and yeah, that church may have made an unwise choice and a choice that I would not have made. Um, but let's pray for one another. You know, let's, let's not bash that church. Let's, let's, let's pray for one another. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to make mistakes Pivot and try something different. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, um, Yeah, so I mean, from my perspective, there's a lot of people who are setting the first Sunday in June as the Sunday to start having church again. But all the ones who I know have done that, some of them have sent me information, but I've talked with them, the guidelines that they're trying to put in place before they do that, you know, limit, uh, there's one uh, person I know who they're starting their church and they're limiting it to 25% occupancy of the auditorium. You know, so that way everybody can uh, can spread out, and you have to go online and get a ticket. You don't pay for it, but you go online basically to reserve your spot yeah. for that. And so once those tickets are gone, everybody else has to watch it, um, you know, live stream. Uh, and so they're and they're, they're they're talking about how they're sanitizing things and uh, talk to churches that are bringing in professional groups like ProServe to come in and do a deep clean of their building um, before um, before they start services, and then having the sanitation and and encouraging people to wear a mask, um, you know, but I, I just, for the life of me, myself, and so if this is wrong, pray for me. I, I can see myself wearing a mask at church, you know, um, walking around talking to people, but but when it comes time to preach, I, I'm, <laughs> the mask has got to come off. I mean, that, that may be wrong, but that's just in my mind. That's like, okay, I can't, you know, make sure everybody's at least six feet away from me, which is no problem. Everybody sits in the back which anyway. Right? You behind the drummer yeah. cage, <laughs> yeah. Put a <laughs> preach
0: from the, the plexi. Put a put
1: a plexiglass around around yeah. around me. You know, but it, but it's those kind of things. Of of um. Until we get, I, I went to my doctor and he and he was telling me, look, until there's a vaccine, we are just going to have to deal with this, and there's going to be times of more strict social distancing than others because we just don't know what's going to happen, and it's going to reoccur. I mean, everybody thinks it's going to reoccur in the fall. You know and so even from the emergency management position we've been talking about okay let's let's get ahead of the curve and make plans for when this happens in the fall I think most people think maybe there is some truth to the heat so summer may die down but come fall everybody thinks it's going to rebound okay let's give each other grace we haven't been through this before and um, and let's always at the very least consider how does this decision affect the most marginalized among us how does this decision how does this policy, how does it affect the common good? Instead of my, and am I willing as a follower of Christ to put my individual rights aside for the better of the other person? Which I think is what scripture tells us to do anyway. Yeah. Well, ironically, it's, it's, it's almost like
0: for the common good, you've got to rely on your individual heart and conscience on this to go, you know what, just because the president say, it says it's okay to open up this me in my heart there's a check or be, because I care about my community or because my community is composed of this demographic specifically I'm going to act mm-hmm. this way even though I'm being told maybe maybe by the political side that I normally stand by I can depart from that and just go no because of my love for my fellow human being I'm going to choose to do this right now
1: yeah and and you know I've had a few conversations with pastors and and uh, about all this and And at at the end of the day, what I've tried to tell the pastors is, look, nobody knows your church like you do. You're the shepherd of your flock. Every flock is different. So you make the decision that you think is best for your congregation, and and I'll be behind you. I'll support you, you know. Um, But what's happening is if somebody makes a different decision than I do, I want to criticize them, you know, instead of just saying, you know what, this is... Uh, th- there's got to be a lot of room. We, there's got to be a lot of room for grace in this, and not just like, like for example. And I don't want to make anybody mad, and I'll be quiet after this. But uh, out of all the things that the churches churches have done during this time, the least attractive to me is the drive-up services. For some reason, in my mind, I just. But I'm not going to criticize. I mean, I've I've heard reports that the churches doing it and people coming to Christ and having so. Man, that's great. For me personally, I'd rather just do what we're doing online yeah. than, to, than to have a drive-in service. But I'm not going to criticize somebody because they, they have a drive-in. If that's what they felt was the best thing for their church, man, you got my support and, uh, and you know, no criticism. Although personally, let's just keep meeting online instead of doing a drive-in. Let's wait until we can get back together uh, kind of thing. So that's what I mean. Just extend grace to each other. And, uh, and pray for one another. And always consider um, the least of these. Always put the other person ahead of yourself. Yeah.
0: Well, I think those are uh, great words to walk the talk. And it's it's very personal. Um, and uh, hopefully you are prayerful in your response to, to all of this. We wish you all the best um, as we try to resume back into finding some kind of normal um, <clears throat> In the coming uh, weeks and episodes, any teasers
1: on what we might be talking about? Well, you know, I'd really like for people who are watching this on Facebook or who hear it later on to give us some suggestions. You know, we still have po- – I mean, politics are going to come up. Um, you know, um, I, I want to do something on the environment. Um, but then also, whatever issues you guys who are listening or watching think we should cover, just let us know. And uh, we do have a special guest next week um, who's going to come and, and – sit with us and tell us about his experience as a young man running for office here locally and then uh, just get his perspective on uh, some of the race things that are going on. An African-American young man, good friend of mine, um, and uh, he'll be with us next next time sharing. Great. All right, well, thank you for joining us on this episode of
0: Floods of Justice. We will see you the next time around floods of justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the reverend dr kevin riggs on twitter at riggs underscore kevin